Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. Michelle, how are you going? Good. I am very good. Excited to do our first uh, little book club of the season. Um, For those of you who are maybe listening for the first time, you don't have to have read the book. We're not going to give spoilers, but it is just a book that we read together um, and then have a bit of a chat about. Yeah, exactly. We don't even um, announce what our book club reads are going to be. We just kind of call it a book club because... We get to chat about a book that we've both read, but really it's just like a shared recommendation, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think how it happened is that once we both had read the same book or something and it just sort of happened and now it's a thing. So yeah, this is the first book club of season seven. So our first book club read is actually the second novel by a season five guest, and that is Kaylin Bayron. We chatted to her in season five, obviously, about her debut, Cinderella is Dead. So head back and listen to that if you missed it. It was so much fun. But her second novel is called This Poison Heart. And it is in some ways so much like Cinderella is Dead with an amazing, you know, teenage female lead who is (laughs) discovering this whole world around her. But unlike Cinderella is Dead, which was had a very almost medieval kind of vibe in this like old town um small like village that cinderella was from and everything like that um this poison heart is very modern though it does still weave in some very ancient magical elements yeah i was quite surprised by the way that greek myths and mythology um are used in this book so that's really like fun and we sort of um get to learn a lot more about that the deeper we go into the book but basically our main character Breeze's has a gift and she can kind of make plants bloom and grow around her but she's also immune to poisons and she inherits a house that has all these dark secrets but it's also a place like you said Caitlin that she can explore her powers it's got this um garden it's got a hidden poison garden um which only she can really enter because everything there can kill you um and yeah she's sort of learning about that and uncovering some secrets within the house so it's very interesting in that respect and it's you described it best before we before you hit record, Caitlin, of saying it's perfect for people who like us who don't read fantasy very often. Yeah, it is because it really kind of g- keeps gradually adding in those fantasy elements. Like at the very beginning of the book, before Brie finds out that she has inherited um, this estate um, through her birth family, before Brie finds out that she has inherited this estate through her birth family, she's just helping her mums at their florist shop their flower shop and you know they're living in Brooklyn and she's got like great friends and yes she has like the plant powers but it's 
very untapped, obviously, as we come to find out that she mainly uses it to keep all the flowers looking fresh for all of their clients and maybe grow a sneaky extra rose if needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it kind of just keeps adding on that she learns more about her abilities as people start coming to the house to ask her for her help with her special skills and abilities in their old family apothecary and she tries to explore the poison garden it really gave me secret garden vibes how she's like the the garden is like gated off and she's like I need to bring it back to life and then there's like the barrier beyond with all the really poisonous plants and yeah, and there's secret rooms and secret keys and a bit of a treasure hunt. Now, the thing that sort of did take me by surprise was that this is book one in a series. So it might be good if you know that going in because I was getting towards the end being like, oh, my God, there's still so much unresolved stuff. And then when I got to the end, I realized it was a series. Yeah. <laughs> so I did sort of feel like at the end I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So it's probably good knowing that you won't get all the answers at the end of this. No, whereas... not yet. We'll have to wait a bit longer for the rest of it all to be resolved, I suppose. But yeah, I guess I didn't expect it because Cinderella is Dead was a standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't have that in my mind at all. But if you go in knowing that it is the start of a series I'm sure that you'll be better equipped but I definitely feel like there's so much there I do want to know more about these powers about the way that it connects to I mean I said we said Greek myths and mythology but I guess what we're learning in this book is that maybe not all the myths are fictional (laughs) Um, so I'm really interested to see like the connections there and the way that Kaylin builds that and builds that world because I do think it's really enchanting oh it is you get so like absorbed by this world and you're right about all the Greek myths that perhaps aren't so mythical and Brie is learning about her birth family and her ancestors who have worked on this estate and run the apothecary and all the other strange characters in this new town that come by and they're like um can you help me your aunt used to help me with this (laughs) yeah yeah it's very interesting and I think definitely um something that a lot of people are going to be interested in a very different sort of read for us and a different sort of recommendation because it does have that fantasy element but Yeah, I really like the way that Kaylin builds her stories as well. Um, On top of that, let's talk about the cover too. The cover is really gorgeous. I love the illustrations on it. Yeah, me too. And it so beautifully illustrates the novel. Like you can just picture all of these plants and vines like coming up to her and blooming and becoming brighter and it's just so it's like such a pretty image a pretty world yeah so that is this poison heart by kaylin bayron and we will link our previous chat with kaylin in the show notes um so you can go back and listen to find out about cinderella instead but it's definitely quite a fun exciting YA read definitely and if like us you're not the biggest fantasy readers don't be afraid because this is exactly the kind of fun, light, witchy, magic stuff that even non-fantasy readers love. It's just that taste. Yeah. Not too high, insane (laughs) fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too confusing for us. No. Um, Yeah. So that is 
yeah, it's such a fun book. Um, yeah, so thank you also to the team at Bloomsbury for sending us copies of that to review and to chat about on the podcast. So this episode, we are also going to talk about another very fun YA book that we both really enjoyed. But before we get to the episode, we are going to share a trailer for another podcast with you. We love sharing the bookish love. This is a great community to be part of. And so we want to introduce you to another podcast you might enjoy. Hello, my name is Tegan and I'm the host of the Bookstorian podcast. I'm a book lover and bookstagrammer with a ferocious need to colour code. I am a drama teacher by trade, which also means I really love to talk. I have a constant thirst to talk about the books I've read and sometimes the comment box just isn't long enough for me. Join me each Monday as I talk to bookstagrammers about their accounts, why they created them, what inspires them and what tips they may have. We also discuss oh so many books across a range of different genres and yes there will be spoilers. I want to talk to people about the books they have read and that means we're going to talk about what happens in those books. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian Podcast. Our guest this week has been telling stories for as long as she can remember inside her head, but also as a journalist and as a high school English teacher in Brisbane and now in a new book. Her short story, Inspired by Urban Brisbane, You Deserve Nothing, was longlisted for the Queensland Young Writers Award in 2014. But today in this episode, we will be discussing her debut young adult novel, Henry Hamlet's Heart, which won the Queensland Literary Awards Glendower Award for Emerging Queensland Writer, that is a mouthful, (laughs) in 2019, and has just been published and is available now. Welcome to Better Words, Rhiannon Wilde. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to chat to you about this wonderful book because we just loved it and we have to start with Henry Hamlet I loved I saw you posted on Instagram the other day just some like notes and stuff like that and you had Henry Hamlet character name and I was like (laughs) I love it because I'm sure it just popped into your head one day and wouldn't go away well Henry's a funny story of how I got his name which is something that I've talked about a few times I think um he was a it was a grave that I saw it was kind of like a Voldemort thing <laughs> but ah, like very yes. different, not quite the same sort of vibe. But um, I was on an excursion with my students, and I saw the grave for Henry Hamlet from the Victorian era, and that's when I wrote that note and was like, "Oh, that sounds cool." And then the next day, he was like, "Hey, I'm your Henry Hamlet, and you should write me. You should write me right now." <laughs> wow, yeah. that's such a cool story. He is that sort of like when you start reading the book, I sort of picked it up read a little bit before bed, put it down. And then I think, Caitlin, you had the same experience where we both sort of were like, oh, I just can't stop thinking about Henry. Like he is sort of insistent that you listen to him. Was that yeah. what it was like writing him? Yes, very much. Like it was literally like I was commuting like in Brisbane, you know, the north side and the south side are very divided as as, yeah. as people who've been there know. And I was commuting. I lived on the north side and worked on the south side at the school that I was at. And Henry, I would pretty much 
picture him sit, like sitting next to me in the passenger seat and he would just be like like chatting away about all this stuff that he wanted me to write about like I you know he told me you know I have this complicated relationship with my best friend and that's probably a really good story and I'm actually the character that could make you a thing if you just if you just sit down and <laughs> start writing me so yeah he was very like you say insistent wow I just love hearing that because I mean I'm not I'm not a fiction writer. I can't picture, I can't imagine that when people are like, oh, I just couldn't, I, you know, they were there right next to me. And I'm like, I don't get it. But I just believe yeah. you when you say that. I know. And I literally like, so, um, Rihanna, I'm a journalist as well. Um, and give me like your life story and I will, you know, find a cool arc for it. I will like do all the, you know, technical side of everything but I cannot for the life of me plot anything myself like I need to make it needs to have already happened yeah. yeah like I need I need that and then I will go through and do a cool structure for it or whatever and figure out how to tell it but yeah I just have so much admiration for every guest that we talk to on here and I'm just like oh my god how do you do it it's amazing so that's so cool to hear and like it definitely translates into the book and we're obviously going to explore that even more and stuff but um I guess start with if you just want to give us a brief overview of the book Henry's story um and what people can expect okay I've been trying to practice doing this without spoiling the entire plot (laughs) because the first few times I did it I was like oh (laughs) I just gave it all away that's the whole plot (laughs) um I so it's about Henry Hamlet as we've said He's a boy who's in his final semester of school and who doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life. He's a little bit hopeless, but in an endearing kind of way. And he goes to kind of this prestigious all boys school with his group of motley kind of friends. And he realizes that his friendship with his best friend, Len, is a little bit more complicated than he initially imagined. And things kind of go from there. And that's our, that's our springboard, I guess, for for the most dramatic semester of his life. <laughs> Which I also love. I mean, Michelle and I have said multiple times on this podcast that our favourite YA is that end of high school, mm. summer right after high school, yep. first bit of uni. Like that time period is just like there's so much going on and it's not it's not done enough, I think, in you know books and movies and TV shows. So we love it so props for the time that it's actually set in there in the school year yeah I I agree with you it's such a like fraught but also kind of magic time it's like everything is happening yeah yeah, and suddenly you're a person and you're like oh what do I do with all of this I know and everything just becomes more real but also it's just like so crazy I particularly Mm. liked um in Henry Hamlet's heart where they were like you know all the boys are doing their exams and then it's school holidays and then they're like basically just like four weeks of nothing in term four and I was like it's accurate (laughs) true yeah you've already done everything important and they're just like playing movies yeah yeah and you're just having existential crisis about you know what your future holds um I also very much identified with Henry's lack of direction about everything because (laughs) I applied for my journalism degree like 
out of the blue halfway through grade 12 wow. like I literally had just been like I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm doing oh maybe I'll do this <laughs> luckily yeah. it was good yeah, but um, yeah I very much yeah I very much was just like ah oh, yes Henry I feel you when they're like you know you've got to get your uni preferences in soon mm. I was like <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's like I don't know I I love Amelia how she like pushes him constantly and he's like stop I don't know yeah <laughs> I loved that friendship yeah it's a really universal experience though I think what you're saying of of like not knowing and I don't think that is written about enough that I've seen like we often have young people written in books that that are amazing and that have this like really significant thing whereas Henry is kind of just like I don't know what my thing is yet and he's at that point yeah. of, of figuring that out that that I wish I let myself stay at for longer. I was kind of like a type A, like I have to have my whole life mapped out right now. And I was going to be a psychologist. I was going to do all these things. And then none of that fit. And I didn't kind of realise that until until I had to choose which offer to accept. So with Henry, I wanted yeah. to explore that not knowing and kind of just chilling in that space instead of forging on, you know. Yeah, I always felt that. And I was like, oh, I'm, I recognize that I'm just incredibly lucky that I sort of fell in love with yeah. what I put myself down for unexpectedly. And my life took a direction that I never would have predicted because I just never thought about it that much or could yeah. I literally was one of those people like, I never picture myself doing anything. Yeah, like I was just like, I can't imagine, you know, I just couldn't. And that for me is a huge thing, being able to, maybe it's my anxious personality, <laughs> being able to like think, okay, what's, what's the situation going to be like? Can I see myself doing this, being in this situation, living this life? Mm. And it just was always, I just remember being in grade 12 and being like, that is a huge blank. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, um, I was the yeah. same. And like, funnily, I mean, again, luckily it all worked out for me as well, but also like, I feel like this would probably be the case for Henry's friends once they all finish uni is that all of my friends we all got through uni and I kind of had lucked out and I got a job and it all you know happened um and a lot of my friends are currently in our mid-20s in jobs that have nothing to do with the <laughs> things they studied yeah um and you know that happens and that's fine and that works out and you know they'll keep going on to do different things but yeah yeah why do we keep telling people that they should have everything worked out when they're 17? Very true. But then on the flip side, my lovely, lovely cousin just graduated as a nurse and she had a picture that she drew when she was a little kid of being like, I want to be a nurse when I grow up and help people. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. That's really cute. That's really sweet. So, yeah, it's just, it's, again, such an interesting thing to explore. Um, And I think perfect for young adults to sort of hopefully read this and know that it's okay if they're feeling that way because I certainly wish that I had known that. Um, So it's it's been an interesting experience reading this book for a few reasons. Um, So we mentioned before we started recording Brisbane setting. Yes. We absolutely love that. Um, we do have an extra special soft spot for our Brisbane guests <laughs> and anyone who writes about Brisbane. Um, so that felt really familiar. Um, but it's so funny because reading it, it feels really contemporary and really present day, but it's set in 2008. And I kept forgetting that <laughs> until know Henry's like updating his MySpace or he's listening to Panic at the Disco or someone's got like straightening his hair and I was like (laughs) oh my god yeah those emo fringe haircuts and 
it obviously didn't obviously did not feel like it was like you were trying to be like this is 2008 because you know I kept forgetting it felt like present day so why did you want to set it then rather than you know 2019 not 2020 because yeah or just like generically in the present yeah I think a few reasons and I really like the reason I like that you say you kept forgetting because one thing that I love I've read a few books that inspired me to do it the way that I did it um Alice Pung's Lorinda does it brilliantly like probably better than I do but like the I taught that and two year tens and they didn't we didn't figure out that it was set in the 90s until we were like two-thirds of the way in and they were like I just realized that they don't have mobile phones (laughs) and we were like yeah this is set in the 90s and so I thought that was kind of in my head and books like that where there's a time setting that plays a really important role but not in a way that is is shoved down your throat to the point where you're, where it's not enjoyable, I suppose, and not to the point where it would alienate young people who were maybe three years old in 2008, like my baby sister. But the reason that I love 2008 is because I guess I was in high school in the late noughties and the early, early 2010s. I graduated in 2011. Um, oh, my God. Same. <laughs> <Twinning>. <laughs> But um, I feel like, you, like for me, 2007 and 8 sums up that kind of golden nostalgic era before the kind of era that we're in now sort of started. So when I think of the noughties, I think of 2008 and I think of everyone straightening their hair and I think of making my mum drop me off to see the midnight screening of New Moon. I can't believe I made her do that. Like, that's insane. <laughs> I, apolo- I apologise for that, like, every Mother's Day because – she had to go and see it in another cinema because I booked one ticket and <laughs> and then I was gonna drop me off because I was so obsessed with Twilight and oh New God. Moon. And she did it, God bless her. Like <laughs> she, she oh, just bought her another ticket and went and saw that's it and perfect. became a massive fan. But like all those little things and having the fringes and the fact that we weren't on social media yet in the same way. And that when we when we did use social media, it was like you were playing games on Facebook. It wasn't. It was you different. Were playing like yeah, yeah, it was so different. Yeah. Very chill. Two thousand eight is pretty much exactly where it's like we we had mobile phones and we yep. had some social media, but it just wasn't the same. And you know why? Because the first iPhone came out in two thousand eight. So after that, once people actually started getting them, yes. everything changed forever. So true. <laughs> because. Let's be like, that's like peak Gossip Girl yeah. era of, you know, yeah. hipsters and oh, the Motorola Razor. <laughs> oh my God, this is so nostalgic. It was so cool wow. if you had a Razor. I never had a Razor. Oh, I had no. like, I think I had, a, I had an LG that had like a, like the screen looked like a mirror and I remember sliding it up and feeling just like so cool. the most mysterious <laughs> protagonist <laughs> in the world. The one that I always wanted, um, a hip top which was like one of the sliding ones and I I had one that was like a Telstra brand one so it wasn't a real one (laughs) but I was like I it was cool but I knew it wasn't real (laughs) it was close though it was cool but deep down you were like I'm still yeah I was like it's not the same (laughs) oh wow yeah it's just such a great thing to explore but I love the way that you didn't yeah make it super obviously Mm. and that yeah there were just a few times where I was like 
oh, what a funny band to mention. Oh, wait, no, it is actually popular right now. It's 2008. Well, the thing is I've had a few quite a few actually like actual teenagers message me and say how relatable the music is because emo's back emo's back baby and my little sister told me and I was like no surely not and she was like no put as much of it in because that's what we're listening to that's where we're at and um (laughs) I've had messages from like a, a young boy messaged me the other day who finished reading it I think he's in year 12 and he was like telling me how he loves the national and I was like be still my heart like it's and there I was being like I'm the most uncool basic girl ever because I read the national and I was like that's right they did vocal with Taylor Swift and I was like that's like they did to be fair fair, I didn't even know who they were I only know panic at the disco so you're all cooler than me I was not this cool in 2008 I'm not this cool now but I was not that cool (laughs) in 2008 And why Queensland as well? I think lots of reasons. Primarily, I think I get very inspired by where I am. And because I was in Brisbane driving across the city every day, I was seeing all of these places. Like I had to drive over the Story Bridge and over the river and there were all these lovely houses kind of perched on on it that were like Queenslanders and all the cafes. And I think it was where I was and it was permeating kind of my imagination a lot before I even started to write Henry. It was just kind of those were the images that were in my head. So when it came to setting different scenes, I think Brisbane was just, I didn't even think twice about it. It was set, it's set in Brisbane from the very, very first scene, which I wrote, I the very first scene I wrote was near the very end, which was, which was, I think, I don't want to spoil it, but it was when they have kind of, there's an argument and then, there's a black page that, that it's in a house that I'd kind of pictured as a Queenslander always. So I think from the, from the second that I, that I decided to write it, it was always that Henry was going to be in Brisbane. And my editor, Felicity, who, who I love, was in year 12 in 2008 in Brisbane. So <laughs> we had like a huge amount of fun, like Googling whether there was a fish and chip shop at South Bank in 2008. <laughs> Um, and stuff like that like she's really good at picking up little things like that I think originally they went and had a burrito and we were like there was no burrito places at South Bank until 2015 so (laughs) we had to change like little stuff little things like that and I just think Brisbane itself is quite magic and I think yeah the the boys story was always meant to be there I, I reckon I've always thought that Brisbane is a cool place to set things because in a different way than like Melbourne and Sydney that like they can be city kids without being real city kids, you know, like it's just, That's so true. just different. It's homey. I I think it's yeah. like a cozy city and it's got so much green and yeah, I love it. If you can't yeah. tell, I wrote a book <laughs> yeah. about how much I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit of a love letter. To yeah, Brisbane, it is. Really? It's yeah. great. Yeah. There's lots so of nice. great little things oh, in there. Brizzy. Yeah, speaking of things we love, Henry's voice in this book, just like, I mean, we told you before, we immediately loved it. You can, you immediately fall in love with him. He's such a presence. Um, you know, he said, you've already said he was very insistent um, that you write his story. So, but was it hard for you to get inside the head of a teenage boy? Um, yes and no. I think when characters come to you, you don't really have a choice about about what they are, which is something that I think of whenever whenever I think about this question, is that Henry just kind of showed up and he was a teenage boy. So I think 
as I slowly got to know him better, I think I brought in aspects of the fact that I've always had a lot of male friends, particularly when I was a teenager and still now. Um, I sent a lot of stuff to them initially to make sure I was getting aspects of voice right. Um, yeah. Particularly like, when does this sound like a teenage boy? Yeah, yeah. or <laughs> particularly like when he was emotionally processing things, I would send. I was very annoying to a couple of my male friends, um, and also my partner, just being like, "Is this? Does this sound right? Or what should I change?" And um, but I think when you have a character that's as strong as Henry, you drop into their head, and the more you sit with them, like once you're at the second or third edit you're just kind of you're you're in their head and it's almost like you inhabit them you forget how to how, that that you're you writing as them particularly first person i think and you just start thinking in in the way they think particularly once i'd done a lot of that initial stuff i also did a lot of research i read a lot of like old blogs by like young like teenagers and old tumblers and like queer blogs by young queer guys and a lot of I do a lot of, I'm pretty nerdy when it comes to like establishing character initially. So once I'd done all that, I think I remember really clearly that I would just be sitting there just completely in his head. And and I miss that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely as a reader, it feels like that as well. Like that translates so well. You just feel like you are instantly in his head. And I, I think that's a lot to do as well with not just obviously your understanding of his character, but the, the way you actually write the book, there's sort of, um, you know, as you said, there's like some particular emotional parts where he's thinking something and then you add things in brackets and it, it's, you are get, you do sort of get caught up in this kind of frantic pace that his mm. brain must be going at to yeah. sort of work through all these feelings. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, the writing is really captivating in that sense. Was that something that you sort of, always had or did that develop through the edits no that we actually had so many brackets in the first in the first draft and then um my beloved felicity when something's a bit much she just gently highlights it (laughs) (laughs) and you know if it's highlighted that she's saying have a little think about this one because what editors are really great at doing and what the editing process is really great at doing is narrowing down which of those things that you do a lot when you're figuring out voice which which of the ones you need to keep in order for it to be really effective in a final in a final product. So Henry always kind of had these frantic, I guess, um, zigzaggy thought processes. And originally there were more kind of asides and we had some of them in italics and and he was always his voice was always like that. But then we did our narrowing down process of of really nailing which ones to keep and which ones to to take out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, when in the story do we really need to, like, go in and freak out with him, but not always. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 How yeah. and when to do it. So um, something that I particularly loved about the book was the all-boys school setting. And it was really weird to read, um, but I went to an all-girls school, so I just was like it- – it was only when we started getting to, like, the school scenes that I was like, oh, this is an all-boys school. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like – I don't think I've ever read anything set at an all-boys school. And even when I think about the perception of that in the media and stuff as well, Mm. um, it really does feel like a space that we don't really get access to in young adult um, or, you know, there is a particular image attached 
if we do. So why did you want to sort of explore the relationships you explore without giving too much away within that all boys space? Well, I think as a teacher, and I actually taught in the girls system, all, and I, I taught once co-ed, but other than that, I taught in all girls schools, but we had a lot to do with the brother schools. Um, and so I think I'm by no means an expert on it, but um, that's that's kind of where I was seeing uh, teenage boys in, in like a real context. And so that's something that happened in the first draft. It just, that's where, that's just where Henry went for me, particularly like I could see him in the uniform and kind of being that preppy um, school captain-y type. And I think it is, I like what your point that you made about how it's something we don't often see and we don't often see it in a positive light because, you know, for good reasons. And there are cult- a lot of cultural issues in some contexts that are similar to this, but I wanted to look at the friendships that exist between young men that I've always seen in my male friends with each other and with my partner and his friends and kind of explore that mateship and closeness and loyalty that exists in those contexts rather than, and I do, I've tried to explore um, toxic masculinity as well. And that's definitely a theme throughout the book, probably more through Len's dad than it is through the school per se, although apart from a couple of characters, I wanted to show, yeah, the beauty of, of those close male friendships and how it's not all kind of roughhousing and brutish boys. I think there are a lot of really clever young people that, that move through those spaces that think hard about things and love their friends the way that Henry does. And I thought it would be interesting to look at a group, a pretty normal group of boys that, and show all of that, I guess. I loved that. I loved (laughs) that so much. And I think I think it is because it took me by surprise in that mm. it's not the image. And as you say, quite rightly, mm. certain schools need to be called out for these things. There's mm-hmm. a whole debate to be had over whether, yep. you know, same-sex schools are even a good concept or whatever. Yep. But I really loved seeing it in this positive light or seeing a snapshot of this really interesting relationship that, you know, obviously as a teenage girl – an all girls school I never had access to you know seeing those male friendships and stuff and I do think it's I went to a co-ed high school and I still didn't really either because my (laughs) friendship group was girls yeah Um, (laughs) it's like an interior world I think that that boys inhabit with each other but once I've ever gotten up close to it it's just fascinating like their friendships are so close but it's so different in a in a a strange and fundamental way but also in the same it's also the same as as female friendships so yeah I think it's pretty cool <laughs> um I always tell this to Caitlin that and um, she's sick of me saying how much I enjoy Love Island but <laughs> the reason I enjoy it is because is mainly for the friendships that form mm. between the girls and the guys yeah. it's less about the relationships because we all know that Many of them are many of them are not going to last. Some yep. of my favourites are still together. Actually, I'll have you know. <laughs> just FYI, <laughs> just FYI, I check every six months just to make sure. Um, but you know, I'm currently watching the new UK season, and it just reminds me. Like, I love when you know the girl that you know a couple will come back from a date, and you know the girl goes over to her girls, and they're like, "Tell us yeah. everything. What happened? Like, <laughs> you know, yep. did he?" Car, like all that sort of free stuff and the guy goes over to the guys and they're like oh my god how was it like yeah and they all get so excited for each other like it's just it's just quite cute and they console them and again it's that it is that looking at that and thinking we don't get shown this on tv enough we don't see this in movies this sort of 
mateship in this way and yeah. it's just nice yeah blossom and sometimes like some of the best parts that have come out of love island have been like the bromances yeah. between certain guys and stuff and you just think yeah it's just so cute i know but I know. isn't that just the thing is that i was just about to say michelle it's like we always you know in movies and tv shows and books and everything there are so many like great duos that were like oh this friendship is bromance and we say bromance and it's like can't they just be friends yeah true yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. that's so that special. is so true yeah, that's so true that is true that it, when it's boys it's often like lauded as this huge thing yeah, yeah. that we're yeah. like oh my god they're so cute love the bromance between these two and it's like they're, they're just best they're friends, just friends. Yeah. they're best like, they're, it should so be cute. a normal thing <laughs> vibes <laughs> but yeah like I just I'm just it's it's so interesting to see I'm very interested in the fact that you said that you'd never worked at a boys school because I would have thought that your experience as a high school teacher would have played a lot into this story which I'm sure it still did so can you tell us a bit about that well I have worked co-ed quite a lot so I should probably like all my pracs were a co-ed in a co-ed context and then one of my jobs that I did was co-ed as well I just haven't been in the boys system before uh I think it's almost a good thing because I would have been quite reticent to set a book in a girls school I think because there's just too much risk of like any any caricature that you do there's a risk that that like people will think it's your students and all that kind of stuff I wouldn't have wanted that to be an an issue whereas and I think subconsciously that could be why I enjoyed setting it in a boys school because it wasn't my experience as a teacher but it was something that I was interested in as a person and particularly that I had been interested in as a young teacher I've always been I've always enjoyed male students because they they make you think in different ways a lot of the time because they will often just put their hand up and say something or not put their hand up sometimes um, and and just say these things that make you really rethink like how you've processed something and I've always I've always loved that about teaching boys um, is that I guess the the slight irreverence <laughs> whereas whereas I think girls are a little bit more like they 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 behave um, a, yeah. little, a tiny little bit better generally not always um not to generalize but yeah I I like that boys make you think really like particularly they're usually at an age where they're starting to think and figure out how they conceptualize their world um students any student of any gender when they're that kind of 17 so I think that's what informed my writing the most is thinking about those kids that put their hand up and said something that made me completely stop in my tracks and think you are forming your worldview in front of me. And I love it. <laughs> like, yeah. I think yeah. yeah, that's, that's my main like teaching nugget that I, that I try and put into my writing. Do you think that the book would have existed in the way that it does if it weren't for that experience? Probably not. And I find that that's crazy to think about because I almost didn't become a teacher I was adamant that I wasn't going to study teaching. My mum's a primary school teacher and that's a different ball game and a different set of skills that I don't have. And so I was always kind of like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And then it just started to look attractive to me weirdly as a life when I was about 19 and I switched my degree and did it and, and blah, blah, blah. And spending all that time with young people, I think, it just is, it is very inspiring and it also keeps you you're able to access that mindset and remember how you felt when you were their age, because I try and do that. I would try and do that as a teacher um, a lot is think when I was this age, how did I feel and how would I feel if someone said this to me in this way and how can I, 
treat these, you know, these amazing young people how I would like to be have been treated when I was their age, having all these things going on that they have going on. Oh, man, sounds like you're a great teacher. <laughs> yeah, you sound like a fantastic teacher. <laughs> I mean, I... I'm quite a disorganized person, so that's probably the bit of that's the, that's the bit of me that clashed with it the most. But the kids were the best part. And do you still work as a teacher, or are you full time writing now? So right now, I'm not. I kind of took a sabbatical to edit Henry in the end of 2019, and then COVID happened, and it became a very long um, kind of hiatus. And now I'm working on my second book, so I'm kind of in between. But I don't rule out. I wouldn't say I'd never go back because every time a young like reader messages me, I, I'm like, I Google teaching jobs. And I'm like, oh, like, maybe. Is <laughs> my Can registration my still own good? book? Hmm. <laughs> maybe. Oh, I feel well, like that's I... a way to guarantee some sales. <laughs> yeah. True. I'll just have like a little stand <laughs> up the back. Can I interest you in a book? Um, actually, that is something I wanted to ask as well. Obviously, we as, you know, women in our mid to late 20s um are saying oh my god we resonated with henry so much but what has been the feedback from actual teenage readers particularly teenage boys (laughs) that's the thing that's shocked me the most because i think particularly as a teacher and also as someone who has a 16 year old sister I feared the cringe. I was like, am I going to be cringy and no, and kids aren't going to like it and they're not going to be interested in it. And, um, and the first reader responses once publication happened were from teenage boys. They're the only messages that I got to start with. And then a couple of girls kind of filtered through and then lots of adults, which has been amazing. And, you know, colleagues writing fellow writers, but I got a me- the loveliest message from a teenage boy was the first one that I got from kind of an in the wild reader. <laughs> and yeah. I literally cried and it was all, he was all, he was telling me about, I don't want to give away like his experience, but we chatted about a little bit about year 12 and how it's confusing and, and how he resonated with that part of the book the most. And then I, I just got a lovely, like I literally sobbed review from um, a boy called David, who's on the readings teen advisory board and like I just I just can't with that it was just the loveliest review that I've ever read and it was so clever that again I was like googling teaching jobs <laughs> I was like David oh. that's an A plus Miss Wilde is rising <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she wants to teach you but um yes. not that you need it because yeah so I've been really blown away like it and I and it's very humbling And I feel incredibly lucky to have created something that they're even interested in because Gen Z's, it's like a whole other ball game and they think differently. And I, it makes me sad to think that people think that young people don't read anymore and I've never believed it ever. And I think the one thing you should never do with young people from my experience is underestimate them because they're incredible and like for them to send me nice messages and and for me to not be cringe is pretty exciting (laughs) it's like yes although I probably still am but like in an accepted kind of way much like I was as a teacher (laughs) (laughs) I mean probably you can't we can't help that you can't escape it and the way they say millennial like my sister always the way the the venom she can imbue the word millennial with is so funny (laughs) but it's like loving it's like you know, Ugh. they're just giving it back. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because they cop, yeah. they cop a lot as well. So I'm, I know. 
it's in it's inevitable every generation hates each other but it's just <laughs> so funny because like I actually I saw this hilarious video on Instagram that was like this account that I've seen a few videos from and they do these like funny musical parody things and it was this thing that they had that was like Gen Z's versus millennials and they were like bitch can't do a TikTok dance and the millennials are like we are DVDs and everything and then at the end they're like oh but we both love The Office and I was like this is I was like I feel so torn this is like so unfair why is it and true you are, on the cusp. You are yeah. you, well I mean Literally I'm on the cusp, on the cusp here but, but yeah. yeah see I identify a lot with Gen Z's like I I, a lot of their I identify with both sides yeah me too they're very open and I that's the thing I love the most and then and then obviously like I grew up with millennial culture so I agree with yeah. you guys like you can pick and choose you know it's not I don't think it's a closed <laughs> line nah. particularly like if you are on the cast like it's the fact of the matter is is that generations have never been more blurred true <laughs> there's too much going on what are they even yeah. going to go to they've used Z you know yeah I know yeah. <laughs> We're at the end. why didn't we start at A I, I don't mean, know it was like they started with X what else bad idea yeah, <laughs> who did that, was that? Work. <laughs> bet they're regretting that decision now whoever did it the great and powerful day yeah <laughs> <laughs> I do want to quickly ask you about the use of the Great Gatsby um, within the book because I do always love the um, inclusion of like what's happening at school in YA books. So why are Henry and his classmates studying the Great Gatsby and doing like narrative gaps? I read that and I was like, this is so clearly by an English teacher. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, we did this. We did that for um, Othello. We had to do like a new a new scene and we did my friend and I did um Othello but as if it was Bones because we both loved Ooh. Bones at the time like the show Bones yeah oh, oh, that's amazing God. that's that's amazing I love that we even did a um because we had to film it yeah and we even did a we filmed it on her laptop because we didn't have smartphones um and we did a Quentin Tarantino like looking at the dead body oh, over the. Oh my god, beautiful! I love Michelle, that. I love so this dramatic. so much. I love that. Miss Wilde's <laughs> rising again. That's amazing. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Well, fun fact: I actually did Hamlet in Year Twelve <gasps> English. You did Hamlet. That's amazing. I always taught Macbeth, um, but I love Hamlet, which is part of why I think Henry. I like Henry yeah. Hamlet. At my um, high school, they did Hamlet. They're still doing Hamlet in year 12. Like, my brother did it last year, and that was six years after I graduated. Like, it's You have to. Like, and going back to what you were saying about he can tell it's written by an English teacher, I literally yeah. did check the syllabus. <laughs> the syllabus yeah. from I had to find, because it was another version to the one that I studied at uni in 2013, so I had to check and make sure that they would have been doing, they could do a play study with, like, a... Um, What's it called? A performance. Um, and the reason they study Gatsby, I totally, I don't think I, I, I don't think I answered that. <laughs> no, we got sidetracked. But yes, why Gatsby? I could talk about, I could talk about English forever. Um, and so the reason I did Gatsby is because in my first year of teaching, I read this really amazing article called something like a queer reading of Nick Carraway because the year 12s were doing Gatsby as their novel study. And I was helping the head of department to kind of, I think, as a suck up sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was helping with the resources, like <laughs> arranging them. And I 
was on a spare period and I was meant to be doing something else. And I just read this article that was really long and it was all about why this academic believed that Nick Carraway was gay and he was in love with Gatsby. And ever since I read that article, I was like, yes, I can't read this any other way. I'm going to watch this. And every time I think Tobey Maguire is pining <laughs> for Leonardo DiCaprio because yeah. he just is. It makes a huge amount of sense, particularly a couple of scenes are just so queer coded that like, it's just an amazing reading that I don't think we capital R reading of the text to, mm. to go English on it that I don't think it, we really explore often when we do a study. Um, and I do believe that my school that I was at, that was one of the readings because it was, you know, it was in the materials. So, um, and kids love that particularly like queer coding, anything. It's so much fun to, to so have about it because I think that's, it's one of those things. It's like, it just like keeps happening. Yeah. Um, you know, now, Obviously, this is a very different society than back when Great Gatsby was first published and when mm-hmm. it's set and everything. So it completely makes sense that in more modern times, we're like, but were they in love? But were they? Were. <laughs> but they could be is the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. The thing about reading uh, readings of a text is that you can, if there's textual evidence, I always would say, then it's a reading. And um, yeah. so I thought if Henry, to weave bits of Henry's journey with Nick's journey, um, I thought was really interesting because often when we read classic characters, we project what we're going through onto them. I, th- I find like every person that I've ever seen read Jane Eyre <laughs> identifies with Jane in some weird way. They're like, oh, I went through a trauma that was just like being locked in that room with the ghost in, you know, in XYZ kind of a way. Like yeah. my partner who is a, who is a man, like identifies with Jane Eyre so much. Like that's his favorite classic novel. And I think, yeah, I thought it would be fun to have Henry study something that teaches him something about himself that he wasn't sure was there previously. I have yeah. to say, I I loved it, but I also loved it because it reminds me of one of my favourite lines or quotes or jokes or whatever from EZA when they say, because of course, whatever thing they're studying in English directly reflects what's going on it's in the school. It has they do to. Scarlet Letter and there's yep. everything going on with when was that movie released? I feel like that was 2010. a uh, yeah, 2010. Very close. I was like, it's got to be close to that. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen similar. that movie so many times. It's so, um, good. so good. But yeah, I just yeah. think it's it's great. But yes, it was very. Yeah, fun. I love the way it's it's woven in and an inch again as an interesting way to like talk about queer coding of things mm. as well. It's really yeah. fascinating. Um, so to wrap up with, mm-hmm. could we? Um, briefly chat a bit about your publishing journey and winning that Emerging Writer Award and sort of how that fits into getting the book published. Yeah. So um, basically I finished the first draft of Henry in the end of 2018 and then I sort of sat on it and went back to teaching and thought, oh, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's a, the the publishing industry is so hard to crack that I, what do I I do? Yeah, you sort of you sort of don't know and in Australia there's you can get a literary agent but there's quite a limited number of them and quite a few of them don't represent YA because it's just not their area of expertise so I sort of sat on it and I submitted it to a couple of people and then halfway through 2019 I saw the opening for the Queensland Literary Awards unpublished manuscript award kind of on a whim and I sent the first draft of Henry um and wrote my little essay that you had to attach about why you'd written it and 
and and a little bit about you and why you why you think it's a valuable story. Um, things are always so hard. Oh God! But I oh. did it. I remember I was really determined, and I just I was like, you know, I'm just going to have a go at this, and and I didn't. I wasn't too precious about it, which I sometimes can be about things like that. I just kind of punched yeah. it out and sent it off. Um, and then I got a phone call a couple of months later when I'd forgotten about it um, saying that, it, that Henry had been shortlisted when I was at work. And then I was like, okay, there's no way it's going to win. I had a look at the other books that were in the list and I was like, they're all really literary, really good. There's no way. And then a month after that, I got the phone call while I was on recess duty that Henry won and my little year sevens like all cheered. Oh. <laughs> I told them I had a year seven home class and so um, I was so happy and they were like, Miss Wild, why are you so happy? And I was like, my book's going to be a thing. And they all cheered. Um, so cute. And then from then I went to the Queensland Literary Awards and you, you get kind of a trophy, went back when we could go to those and everything was all good at the end of 2019. Like oh, a school a speech night. Yeah. <laughs> well, I nearly, I literally nearly passed out. You only, I only had to speak for 30 seconds, I think it was. And I was like, it was really hot. There were a lot of important people in the room. Like Melissa Lukashenko shook my hand and my hand was like wet because I was just so <laughs> like, oh my God, these people, why am I here? Um, and then um, my publisher, Claire Hume, who's the head of YA at UQP, sent me a message a little bit after that and we started chatting and she read the book on a plane I think she was coming back from a book fair and then my editor and I met and I got really lucky I think that I landed with those two women because they both believed in the story so much and were so passionate about bringing it to life that the journey from then was kind of like meant I think feel like it's the place it was meant to end up in a weird way, which mm-hmm. like, it's crazy to think that if I hadn't submitted that day, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a thing. Um, so I'm such a proponent for everyone should always take chances like that because you just never know. And um, exactly. you never know if you'll you win don't. the prize or not. Just do <laughs> like, it. Gotta be in it to win it. Here we go. One, yeah. Well, one of my, Maggie Stiefvater, one of my favorite authors ever always says that if a story is gonna, is meant to be a thing, it will happen. And you just got to keep going and find the place that it's meant to happen. And if it's not meant to be a thing, then it won't happen and you might need to try again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's that's that's how it happened. Oh, and now it is a thing. Yeah. And it's in books. I know. Yeah. It's like very widely circulated, which is crazy. Oh, amazing. Well, hopefully one day it's on the uh, syllabus as well. That would be so cool. Oh, that would be like crazy one of my two of my best friends are still teachers and they have like looked at the teacher's notes and they're like trying to get it in their school library (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah excellent um so of course the book has only just been released but you did mention earlier that you are working on a second novel can you give us any hints about that um so it's in its like final throws <laughs> which is very exciting that's like I'm I'm not a planner so you don't entirely know until you get to a certain point whether it's going to happen whether you're going to pull it off um <laughs> and yeah so it's about two sisters who live in a house on a cliff by the sea um kind of their family home it's sort of gothicy and it's a mystery they 
the, there's this town legend about their great aunt and nobody knows what actually happened. Um, and then there's another kind of queer um, romance subplot, but it's girls this time. And also a mental illness kind of theme around anxiety, which is something that's quite close to my heart because it's it, it ruled my life for a lot of years. So I wanted to have a go at, at trying to present that in fiction. So that's kind of one of the sister's journey. And then I guess sexuality is the other sister and plus the mystery. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, actually, when you said before that you have to remember sometimes how, you know, you felt as a teenager, I was like, oh, dear God, please, let's not remember that because... It's before I was actually like accepting that I had anxiety and I, I was a mess. And you didn't know what it was kind of thing. I, feel. I was just like, I just, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I just cry myself to sleep every night like that real. That's normal. <laughs> Showers up for crying. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so fascinating. Sounds I want to so read it and read it. Um, and did I see somewhere that it's partially inspired by Taylor Swift? Yes. Um, so I pitched it as Wuthering Heights crossed with Sherlock Holmes, but with Evermore as the soundtrack. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is so accurate. Like, I feel like a couple of songs from Folklore really unlocked stuff while I was doing the final edit of Henry. And then Evermore is just this second book. Like, it's all I listened to when I was writing a lot of the really early stuff. So particularly Champagne Problems and Ivy are like. Oh my God. They are this book. Champagne Problems is like. It's just so good. She's ever written. It's amazing. It's just incredible. And yeah, so very much that's that's a bit of the vibe, I guess, of of the next book. And then I also have a sequel to HHH floating around in my head, but from Len's perspective, <laughs> which I've been doing little bits of, and I'll see if I can see if you want to keep going. Yeah, but I yeah. I'd love to one day. So that's those are the two things that are knocking around. Also, just a side note, I love that his name is Lennon and his dad's name is John. Yeah. <laughs> there was a line where he references it and then we were like, no, that's too on the nose. We need to. <laughs> so I liked the idea of Len being someone who, like, it's almost like he comes after John and he mm-hmm. wants to kind of make something for himself, even though it's almost like their names are one person, but he needs to make his own path we didn't even get on to the whole father-son relationship stuff in this oh my god yeah Yeah. that was the hardest bit (laughs) so I'm not sorry because you are neither a father nor a son son, (laughs) and again my poor male friends of me being like hey can I interview you about how you feel about your dad (laughs) and um but um yeah I could I would just complain about how hard it was so we don't have to (laughs) John's John's arc was difficult but I'm happy it's one of my probably favorite bits of like, because of the perseverance required to pull yeah. it off. And because yeah. he finally felt like a real person. I think yeah. that took I a long really time. I Len's sister. Me too. I love Lacey. She's so yeah. good. She was there. She just popped up. Henry and Len were just like at Len's house when I was early writing. And then Lacey was like, hey, <laughs> Len has a sister and it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so really I so love cute. Len needed a sister. Yes. And how close they kind of are because it makes yeah. so much sense for, for what he's like as a person. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. I um, I did so glad to hear that um, Evermore is such a big inspiration for the second book because I did, when I went and checked the uh, playlist for Henry Hamlet's Heart, yes. which everyone can go check, can I was like, oh, this is so fun. And then I saw this is me trying and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> 
I was like, can I put this in? And then I was like, Henry would 100% roll with Taylor Swift, like especially especially folklore. It was hard to pick just one, um, but I didn't want to. I also like illicit affairs, even though it has nothing to do with anything. It's just like... No, it doesn't. But this is me trying is a perfect fit for Henry. I it's think. so Henry and, and Len as yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah, I, I stuck it. I snuck it on there at the last minute. And I was like, I have to. I have to. I know. It was very fun. I was just like looking at the playlist. I was like, because <laughs> I knew that it was supposed to be like 2008 emo music <laughs> and then yep. I was like ah oh, Taylor Swift I know it's a mix of stuff that they would listen to and stuff that I listened to while I was yeah. while, like the vibe of of the novel while I was editing but yeah it's a great playlist so we'll have that in our um in the episode description as well people are actually yeah. listening to it which is like intimidating wow. because they're gonna find out that my music taste is pretty pedestrian <laughs> I tried really <laughs> hard with that playlist I was like you're like, think I'm cool. Please. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I, I like, it really does reflect the whole journey, I think, of the story and and the edit process, which Folklore really helped with. When she dropped that, I was in the middle of the last edit and I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Our oh, Lord yeah. and Saviour Taylor Swift has delivered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really cool. My music taste is really cool. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. If. If nothing else, 2020 has proved that mine is not because I was just like lapping up every single morsel that Taylor Swift dropped. <laughs> and I was like, I just. I need all of it. I need it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, she's iconic. So that is totally okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, for having this chat. Um, it's been an absolute delight. And so yeah, you enter the, um, the Brisbane. Queensland Hall of Fame um, amongst our guests. We love all our guests, but we love our Queensland guests just a teeny, weeny little bit more. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> just a tiny bit, yeah. Um, where can people find you online and follow you? So I'm on Instagram and I'm too anxious for Twitter, so I apologise. Um, but I'm at Rhiannon underscore wild on Instagram and I also have a website that you can contact me through should you wish, but feel free to slide into my DMs. I check them pretty regularly <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I live in fear of having a request and someone sitting there. <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> I'm chaotic. Yep, I'm like four that. days late. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I saw this and then was too intimidated and anxious to reply. But now I've opened it, I have to reply. I feel so that. That's my energy. Yep. Um, it has been such a light. Henry Hamlet's Heart is available now. And we should say thank you to University of Queensland Press for sending us copies as well to read in preparation very, very for this. Um, yes, everyone can go buy them now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been amazing. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.